Well, I just want to thank you all for being here this morning. What a great time to be together in the presence of God, to worship Him, get a chance to maybe meet someone new near you. We're so grateful for so, just a number of people through the summer who have been coming and uh, are kind of checking the church out. And if this is a place that God wants you to stay, we would love to... Um, be a part of uh, uh, friends with you and be a part of a fellowship. You know, there are a number of things that are coming up, and I really like this unexplainable God encounter series that we're beginning to go into. And, and part of what we want to do is to help you express your own heart experience and encounter that you've had. And we're not looking for things that necessarily are way out of the box, although we're fine with that. You'll hear some stories like that as we go through in the weeks to come. But what we're asking you to do is consider... And that's why we've put these, these walls up here. You see these kind of movable walls. Um, if these walls could talk, the idea that there are all kinds of God encounter stories in simple ways and in some profound ways where God is at work. And we just wanted to take time to really highlight those things and to honor how God's been at work. And so if you would like to, there's, there should be some sheets of paper in the um, pew in front of you, or if you at some other point want to just kind of write down something, jot it down, we would love for you to do that. We've, we've just got a few that we're going to show. Um, one that just says, I was born again, found Jesus, and renewed my faith here at Wyzetta Free. Through God and my newfound faith, I've been able to live a sober life, establish a new, exciting career, and have found the love of my life, thanks be to God, in the walls of this church. Or Wyzetta Free is where I met three of my lifetime friends. Without them, I would not be where I am today. Wyzetta is a second home. Coming back from college is always a blessing. It is where I learned how to teach kids about Jesus and and be taught myself. I wouldn't trade uh, my memories here for anything. And some of you were teachers of this. You know, praise God. Good, cool things. And so we're just going to ask you, if you want to, you can take a look at that. We're going to have these out kind of so, you know, next week when you go through the line, you'll have them on either side. You'll be able to read some of those instead of having to talk to the person next to you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm excited about this because uh, next week when Ben comes, I would love for you to hear a story. I'd love for you to invite people to hear what God is doing in his life. And then the week after that, um, we're really excited. A lady, Tani, is going to come who's had a severely, severely autistic child and and how God has begun to work in her life and through this child. And, and, and I, I promise you don't want to miss that. And then after that, Reuben David's going to come. And some of you know Reuben David. He's from India. and He won the Wilberforce Apologetics Award and all these other things. But his story about how his mom came to faith in India and how he came to know Christ is such a cool God encounter story. And the week following that, he's going to share about how the Holy Spirit's at work in the world today. So this is a great month, and I invite you to be a part of it. I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do. Well, so I'm looking at my notes, and here I have the notes from the 9 o'clock class, so I won't... Where am I right? Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being so unexplainably good to us that you would not remain removed. But you loved us so much that your son, you sent Jesus, that he might live among us, show what it means to live with an encounter with you on a daily basis, 
through the gift and power and love of the Holy Spirit. And that gift, the Holy Spirit, he has been given to us. That we might encounter you. That we might live in your presence. In order that others might encounter you. And have the opportunity to experience your presence in their life. We just pause and thank you. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak through me. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I don't often mix my quiet times with my sermon preparation. You might be wondering, well, what does that mean? Last Monday evening, I was sharing with the elders that uh, years ago, I developed a habit of setting aside time in the morning where I would be quiet before the Lord. That's what, you know, quiet time. It's, you know, time to be alone, to hear, to listen, um, to be present before God with who I am, to take his word and, and to journal and to slow things down because sometimes the RPMs in my life, you know, some of you are like this, your RPMs get going so fast. Well, you know that because I talk real fast. I'm teaching this morning, Sunday school class, and Shelly so wonderfully came up and said, you know, you need to slow down. So people would like me to do that here sometimes. But my RPMs are going so much that sometimes writing longhand just helps me slow things down so that I can get really present with what's going on in my heart before God. And I made this commitment to, to, to do that on a regular basis. Um, I was so impressed with the life of Jesus, and as I read it, how in Mark's gospel he states this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. I remember reading that, and I was just profoundly impacted by that. And there's a few things that impacted me. One was the, the very fact that he, it was a purposeful thing that he did. I mean, you, I don't know how you set alarm clocks in those days, right? But Jesus got up even while it was dark, and he purposely went to a place where he could be alone and put himself in a position to encounter God, his Father. And I thought to myself, if Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man, felt it necessary to set aside time to position himself so that he could be in a continual encounter with God, his Father, who am I to think that I shouldn't be doing that? I've shared with you before, Dallas Willard has this little thing he calls Vim. And I think it's Vim because Vim and Vigor, it gives you energy to do kind of what you're to do. Well, the whole idea of Vim is, is just these words, vision, intention, and means. And so what happened in that experience was I read that verse and I saw that as Jesus put himself in a position purposely to encounter God... I saw that vision, and in my heart I intended, I said, I want to be like you, Jesus. And so what I did was begin to put the means in place where I would say, God, on a regular basis, I'm going to get up and I'm going to meet with you so that you can live with me and I with you in a regular encounter with you through your Holy Spirit and your word. 
And that's how you kind of move transformationally. That whole idea of vim is you vision it, you intend to do it. A lot of people have, have vision and good intentions, but never anything happens because they don't put the means in place to move towards that. I mean, it, it's a simple principle. It's the same thing. If you want to be a really good piano player, you can see someone who's a really good piano player, be really moved by it, and they go, boy, I really want to be that way. I want to intend to do that. But if you don't you know, take lessons and practice and do the scales, you won't what? And I, I couldn't help but reading this, and I, I remember thinking to myself, that seems to be what Jesus did. And then I, I thought, not only that it's purposeful, I, I recognized the priority in his life. Because he says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he chose to get up and make this a priority. So it's not only just purposeful, but he actually put the means in place by prioritizing this. And he put this practice in place. And he made this practice something that was important to his life. And so as I thought about this, it was as if the Lord was saying, Kevin, I want you to do this throughout your life to encounter me. And I want this also to be something in your life that is modeled for others. And as I was praying about it, it was very clear to me that what I couldn't do was go to the office at 8 or so, you know, make the first 15 minutes, half hour where I have a quiet time. It was like God was saying, you guys can't do that. I want this to be outside of your regular work hours. I want this to be something that everybody should be doing. And if you stand up and you talk about it and then you're doing it. So it was this really um, tough decision for me. And and sometimes those can be those tough decisions. And I I was a night owl, not a, a morning person in any way, okay? And so I'm in my late 20s. I'm convicted about this and I'm praying about this and I sense the Lord saying, Kevin, I want you to get up before your one and your three-year-old daughters get up. What? They're up like at 5.36 at times. But I did. And I had this thought at the same time. It was the Lord put it in my head. He said, if your good friend, a really good friend of yours from California was coming through the airport at five in the morning and was going to be there in Minneapolis, would you get up to meet with him just even if it was for a short time? And I'm thinking, no way. No, I'm just thinking, sure. (laughs) Of course I would. So I I made that commitment that I'd get up at five. Now, I'm not doing that now because I don't have these little kids. I, you know, a little bit later now. But anyway... I remember doing that and saying, God, and, and I remember saying, I'm going to give you an hour. Now, I'm not expecting anybody else to do this. I'm just saying what the Lord told me. I just want you to have ample time to get your heart slowed down, to be able to listen to me and to pray and to think through and to encounter my presence. And as I thought about it, that's how, as I read everybody, as I read in history of what the people of God did, they were people who would come into the presence of God. Now, I don't know how that works out in your life. It may be that it's not the morning, it may be in the afternoon, it may be in the evening, I don't care when you do it, but I just want to, this wasn't the message right here, but anyway, I just want to challenge you. Are you living in a fresh encounter with God through Jesus Christ and as you come before his word? So it's not only purposeful and prioritized, the other thing was that it was to be personal. And this is where I don't mix my quiet times with my preaching, teaching schedules. It was if the Lord said, Kevin, I don't want you to use your quiet times and use that time to base messages off of. This is my time to personally be with you about what's going on in your life. Because it's my time for you and I to meet so that you can grow up in me. And, uh, and it was to be alone. It was to be um, in a place where I'm quiet. And I've done this now for some 35 years or so. And you're probably wondering, 
it sure hasn't been really helpful, has it? You, you sure haven't changed much. I just got to tell you, if you, my, if you were to ask my wife and kids you know, where I came from. Anyway, in my time alone with the Lord, I've been reading through Acts. And once in a while, the Lord says, what I'm showing you in your quiet times, I want you to share with the congregation. And in this nine o'clock hour before this, I shared some of it. Acts begins with Jesus giving his final instructions to his disciples in Acts 1, verses 1 through 8. And let me read these to you. In my former book, Theophilus, and I shared this with the class before, if you want to read the way the Holy Spirit works, read through the book of um, the, the Gospel of Luke and the manuscript of this book, Acts, and read them at one sitting together, one to the next, because that's really how he kind of wrote those. They were a part one, part two. In my former book, Theophilus, the Gospel, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them convincing, many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. So keep that in your mind. Do not leave Jerusalem. They got this one really good. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, and in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him, and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because they still, in their heart and their mind, were looking for a physical restoration of this earth where the God, through his Messiah Jesus, would reign politically. Even after the death and resurrection, they're still... Which is going to happen. This whole idea of going to heaven. God's going to restore the heavens and earth. That's what it says in Revelation 20 and 21. So they're not off. They're just, timing is always a bit off. Anybody's timing off in your life when it comes to things with the Lord? I find that quite often. I want it now. And then he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You get that? Jerusalem. Do, wait, you know, do not leave Jerusalem. Like, the Jerusalem thing was really in their head. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are kind of throwaway lines, I think, somehow in their head. Now, there are many ways to look at this book. There are many ways you can look at this manuscript we call Acts, written by a very, very um, wise, intelligent, well-schooled, learned man named Luke, who was a medical doctor, went to the best universities. You could read this manuscript in the sense that it is about the advance of the, of the kingdom of God through the acts of the apostles. You could also read this as an account, and very clearly, of the growth of the church through the acts of both the apostles and others. And you see that very much so if you go through there. You can see it in Acts 1 through chapter 8 and 9, 10. You can, you can see how the church advances. But what I want you to look at, because I think this is what God is all about, is that Acts, through the acts of the Holy Spirit, God is bringing people into an encounter with God. And his intention was to do that in Jerusalem. It was then to spread it throughout Judea. It was then to spread it throughout Samaria. And then it was to go to the ends of the earth. Because his desire and his deep desire from the beginning of Genesis is to be with his people, those who will respond to him in faith. 
And it is all about God wanting to encounter you and live with you and so enjoy and know his presence that as you walk in his presence, that presence bubbles over as people see it and experience it. It, through your faith and your acts and your works, in the same way, people encounter God and they begin to enjoy and know the presence of God. That's how I see acts unfolding. Life by life, one person after another, radically, sometimes miraculously, unexplainably, encountering God in all his goodness. So you go through Acts 3 and you see this this, this story. As, As Peter and John are walking through, you see one of the first encounters. They're walking along and there's a crippled beggar that is sitting there. It says, A man crippled from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And I think about this. Surely, if he had been there all those days, Jesus passed this man. Think about it. More than likely, Jesus passed this man, and and you kind of say, so why didn't Jesus heal him? And maybe it was the crowd was too great. Maybe he never called out for Jesus to to heal him. Maybe he got really quiet. when Maybe he just didn't show up on that day or those few days. But at this point, in this time, it was his time. And it was different. Today was his day of an unexplainable God encounter. And so when he saw Peter and John, it says in verse 3, about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. So here he got this guy. I almost get this sense that he, he sees him coming, he puts his head down, and he goes, money for the poor, money for, you know, and he's begging. And Peter says, look at us. So the man gave his attention, expecting to get something from them. What I think is interesting is the, is the dignity. I don't think Peter was doing it out of anger. I think he was doing it like... You know, how, many, how many like to look someone in the eyes and beg? Pretty humbling, pretty shameful thing. You're at the end of your resources. You don't have what you need, and you need someone else to provide it for it. And, and I love this, Peter and John representing Jesus, because you know what? You may be coming here today with a beggar heart saying, God, I need you in this area. I even blew it in this area. I'm even experiencing the consequences of it, and I'm so sorry. And you're kind of going like this, and you're looking down, and like George said, you know, that's what you're remembering. And, and here's Jesus saying, lift your head. The Holy Spirit saying, lift your head, look me in the eyes. I got something to give you. I don't want you to live in shame. You've come to the right place. Now, I think what's interesting is this beggar, he, he's, he's expecting maybe just a couple of coins. Can you imagine, like, oh, man, they're going to give me a couple of coins. But, they, but before they do it, they want me to look at them. And then we read. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. And the guy's going, oh, shoot. I, another 10% coupon at the local restaurant. I don't even the ninety. I don't even have the ninety percent to buy the meal, or, or you know, like some good Christians do, you know, attract when they really need a piece of bread. But what I have, I give you, says Peter. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the guy gets up. He's expecting to get a little bit of stuff to live on. And it's so cool, God gives him a life. Isn't that great? 
There are people around you expecting a little bit to live on. And God, through you, has the opportunity to maybe give someone a life. A life of forgiveness. Where they let go of their bitterness. A life where they, for the first time, begin to realize it's not about trying to control my kids and if I can just make them be really good, they begin to realize there's a God who loves their kids and they they learn how to relax their hands, even on that relationship, because they begin to understand what's going on is more about their image and their kids' welfare. Or someone that you work with who's going through a difficult time in their marriage and, and you're able to say, you know, I know a man, his name's Jesus, and he gives this really, really incredibly great gift called the Holy Spirit who will guide you and give you wisdom and understanding and will forgive you and has the power to come in to begin to change your heart so because your heart changes, so does the relationship around you. He's coming to give you not just a little bit to live on, but I want to give you a life. And I just love this. Peter takes him by his right hand, helps him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles become strong. And he jumps to his feet and he begins to walk. And Luke adds this wonderful conclusion to this account. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him And this man was hoping for a few cents, maybe some bread. Peter and and John say, forget the money. We don't even have that, but we got something far better. We all have something far better for this world. You have something far better. And so what's very important thing is I look through the book of Acts, and I know that we're never going to get through all that I have here So I'm going to kind of pick and choose. You're going to have to hopefully follow my train of thought. Life by life, what you find in the manuscript, this book of Acts, is it is God through his people, through us, the church. Not an institution. Let's, for a second, get the idea of institution out of your head. We so often think of the old, of the church in those days, and we think of people sitting around like this. They sat like more like what we saw when Dick was showing us in Ethiopia or groups of 20 or so. And it was really about individuals, a community of individuals who were having God encounters, going around having and sharing their God encounters with others. That's what you see throughout the, the, this, this book of Acts. And one person after another being in a position when we ourselves are encountering God, living in the presence of God, when we are living that way, We carry the presence of God. You carry the presence of God. Your life is not just about making some money at work and about raising kids in a, you know, 2.3 kids in a suburban home. It is about living in a God encounter on a regular basis where you get to know this Jesus and the Spirit of God begins to pour himself into you and he changes your character and your, your way of life and you have something to offer to someone else. And with it at times, unexplainable things happen. Miracles can even happen in people's lives. And that's what this book of Acts is about. So as you go through this, you all send you know, life by life, they're giving this away. And Peter and John are disturbing the peace of this Judea, the faith of the Jews. And, and so the religious leaders are upset. They throw them to prison. They're threatened by the religious leaders to cease and desist. The, the gag order is put on them. Quit talking about Jesus. So you come to Acts 4, 23 and 24 and verses 29 and 31. And I love this. On their release, they, they're released. The Spirit of God works it out. They're released from prison. 
They're told to not speak about it. Cease and desist. Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now listen to their prayer. This is the church's prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What I think is interesting is this is now, Lord, man, I can't believe that they're, they're not angry. They're not, they're just, Lord, consider it and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs. What are signs? They point people in directions. I don't care how God wants to do it. Wouldn't it be great if we started saying, God, would you just give us signs that cause people to wonder, that point them to you through the name of, our, of your holy servant, Jesus in verse 31, God was so moved by this prayer. Listen to it. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. God goes, that's the kind of body I want. I, I really, can you imagine God going, I'm just going to let them know I'm really excited. Uh. <laughs> oh, heaven's going, whoa. It's a God quake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. It was just basically fill us with your presence that we may boldly share Jesus with others. Every life that you place before us, may we encounter you and live in your presence in such a way that we allow for others to encounter you that they might live in your presence. That's my deep heart. I believe that's the heart of our elders. That's the heart of us as a people. It's just, God, would you do this? You know what? Shake us up. How many be a little scared of it shook right now? I could share you all kinds of stories from Acts, but I want you to observe this, what I call huge, unstoppable, overwhelming desire to lead people into an encounter with the living God through Jesus. And sometimes it will be through signs that cause people to wonder, and there are miracles that are beyond belief. They're unexplainable. And then sometimes they're just through the simple truth that the fact that you've been forgiven and you live in a new place with God and with others. And you might think this is the big one. I've got to tell you, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders are the easy one for God to do. He can shake this place with no problem at all. In fact, Jesus at one point said, what's it easier for me to do? Is it, is, it, is it harder to heal or harder to forgive? Mark says it literally this way, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? Forgiveness is always the harder one because it requires a death. It requires grace. It requires building trust. And everyone wants a healing, right? But forgiveness requires a work of God through the death of his son on the cross and a work of God in our hearts to humbly, repentantly respond to him. But that doesn't mean that he still doesn't do miracles and signs and wonders. It just means that one's a little easier for God. And we don't have to, you know, again, I don't have time to build this case, so I'm just going to go move right away to Acts 8. And what happens through all this process is 
is they're at a point where they've been in Jerusalem, they've done really well in Jerusalem. I'll just read to you quickly some verses. Verse 41 of chapter 2, about 3,000 were added to their number that day in Jerusalem after Peter spoke. Verses 46 through 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is all in Jerusalem. Acts 5, 12 through 14, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. More and more men and women who believed in the Lord were added to their numbers. It's all in Jerusalem. The church is growing. It's exciting. Acts 6, 7, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And then finally a guy named Saul says, I get what's happening here, and if this thing continues, it'll destroy Judaism. It'll destroy the Hebrew faith. It will remove this, the, what Moses has given us. He was so clear on this. If, the, if what Stephen is preaching is true, that there, there is this Jesus who himself is the new temple that would be raised in three days, and himself is the new high priest who offers the final sacrifice that no longer requires ceremonial laws or, or special days that you have to meet what you have to do it will destroy religion praise god but he was afraid of that so he went to stamp it out and god even used that because you read in chapter 8 listen to these words in verses 1 through 8 and saul approved of their killing stephen and on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout judea and samaria and then i'm going to turn to these verses in verse 4 those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went and Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when their crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. i got to share with you, when I read that line, so there was great joy in the city, I said, man, that's what I love. Wouldn't it be incredibly cool? That would be great joy in your in your office where you work. There was great joy in your neighborhood. There was great joy in this city. Not because of why is it a free, but because of churches all around here, believers, followers of Jesus, were so excited about their encounter with God that they lived in the presence of God. I don't care about what church gets, who gets what or anything like that, but we lived that way that the whole city was touched with it and they experienced joy. I had... A couple points, and I'm just going to just say these things quickly. When I, when I read this, I thought, what's so cool? They said, don't leave Jerusalem. So God has to, what does he have to do? He allows Saul to bring about a persecution so that they will be scattered. Guess what? Sometimes God will make us so uncomfortable that he will not allow us to remain in places of comfort. You ever experienced that? You might be experiencing that right now. God might be scattering you. He might have something bigger for you. He may have something he wants you to do to go beyond. Sometimes God leads us into the hard places. In fact, as I think about it, often God will lead us to places that are hard. If you're, in, if you're with people, praise God. The people who came to Jesus were the ones, you know, they were the hardest cases and, and Jesus dealt with them. Do you know that Jesus may place you next to someone with a really hard case? Have you ever said to them, you know what, can I, with, can I pray with you and maybe see if Jesus could do something here? You know, anything's possible with God. 
I was sharing that with my Tuesday morning guys group, and, and it was after Phil had shared about how his club foot and his ankle and his foot grew back in July 5th. If you didn't hear that message, God did a miracle. What if we were to go to people who were struggling in their own hard places and we said, you know what? How about praying to see what Jesus could do about that? Maybe you would introduce joy into a life that's experiencing hardship. I'm going to ask us to stand. We're going to um, sing a song. Can we stand and take this offering at the same time? I... um, it's a little harder message because I, 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 you know what? There's a clip. I, well, I don't know. We should show that. Are you okay if we go a couple minutes longer? I was at a funeral this Monday. Fred and Mary Booz, who um, are owners of, Grand, of Grandview um, Lodge, Mary passed away in June, and we had a service. And one of the things that hit me so deeply was Mary, who, in her late seventies, that she came and she went home to be with the Lord. I didn't realize it was later in her life that she had an encounter with God. And her daughter, Cindy, shared that at the service, and we have a clip of that. And they, So if you'd show it. and You can, you can sit down or stand. I don't really care. I wanted to share two things about my mom today, and I believe they are the two main loves of her life. The first love is, without a doubt, her love for Jesus Christ. I loved what my sister Carolyn said um, on the day my mom died. She said, I wish I could have seen mom's face when she first saw Jesus. And I wish I could have seen that too. During my sophomore year of high school, mom was invited to a Bible study fellowship. And maybe it was somebody here today who invited her. Where she accepted Jesus and began to follow him. The two of us spent my second semester of that year at Nick Bull Terry's Tennis Academy in um, Florida. At the time, I thought I was going just for the tennis, but I know now that I was going to meet God, the God my mom had just come to know. A tennis pro had seen my mom's red Jeep Cherokee heading into a local church, so he asked us to join him at his church and other kids from the academy. Over the course of the next two months, we studied the Bible and learned what it said about who Jesus claimed to be. On April 6th of 1986, at the end of the church service, the pastor asked if any would like, anyone would like to come forward and accept Jesus. And my mom looked at me, she was right on my left. And she whispered at me and she asked me if I wanted to go. And so I nodded, and I made my way down the aisle. And later that night, my mom and I were baptized together. It was the best day of my life. Since that time, my mom's love of Jesus and the Bible has never wavered. The God of the universe revealed himself to her, and she knew it. There was no turning back. He remained her greatest joy. Is one individual later in her life because someone simply said, Would you go to a Bible study fellowship with me? And last Monday, I saw a whole bunch of family members full of joy, even though they had lost their mother or relative, because God 
move through a whole family because of one person who asked someone. And she met the God of the universe.